This is Unfiltered, episode 194 for June 29th, 2016. I was absolutely clear about my belief that Britain is stronger, safer and better off inside the European Union. And I made clear the referendum was about this and this alone, not the future of any single politician, including myself. But the British people have made a very clear decision to take a different path. And as such, I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. Fresh off the heels of the Brexit vote, we are six episodes away from episode 200 of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I want to let everybody know, by the way, as well, fresh off that Brexit vote, that I, Chase Nunes, are going to submit myself as UK's next prime minister. And uh, helping me out in that is going to be my campaign manager, Mr. Chris Fisher. Hey, Chris. I'm super excited, Chase. Thank and you. Uh, of course, we'll be keeping the show running the of entire course. time, podcasting the experience. For I you. will not <laughs> let the Queen yeah. get yeah. involved no. in no. this show. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, my we were ma- talking, by the way, when this was happening. This is my crazy. mouth. Both of us, even though we're under text, I know, I know you must, your mouth is just gaping open. My, I, was I was on my computer. I, yeah. I, I was dumbfounded. Yeah. I was dumbfounded. You know, when we wrapped up last week's episode, we were kind of like, well, I guess this is probably all we really need to talk about it. Uh, and really, the, the big indicators were like the markets and everything. Well, the news was just breaking, not breaking, but the vote was just underway. We, or, or, there wasn't a lot of details for us to really talk about on the show last week. Right. That's exactly true. So, so yeah. there, there, we, but now there Boy, is. Yeah. And I, you know, I really didn't, I didn't, everybody I'd talked to, um, everybody I'd talked to had sort of given me the sense that they were, they were voting to stay. And so it seemed like everybody I had reached out to was like, nah, stay. Nah, I'm staying. So it still, still surprised me quite a bit. And it even surprised, the uh, the uh, uh, the Brexit group because uh, the leave the leave people sort of pre announced all right well we we you know all right looks like the people voted and it's not happening like that started to happen anyways we'll get into Brexit but really what we should probably cover is the breaking news today yeah uh, actually it happened last night and it's funny once this is this is why if you're a patron uh, you know your your money's going to good use because the moment that news broke producer Matt and I. Sat down, went to work, started uh, started documenting the story. Of course, I'm talking about the terror attack at the uh, Istanbul. 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 Turkey. Yeah, in Turkey, in the airport. Yes. Uh, so let's start with a clip that covers that. A horrifying scene of carnage and destruction at Turkey's busiest airport. Three suicide attackers <laughs> carrying out a deadly siege on Tuesday night. <laughs> The coordinated attack captured by airport surveillance cameras. I just recognized the gunshots and then heard this huge explosion and I knew immediately it was a bomb. And I just bolted as fast as I can. Two of the terrorists opening fire at the international terminal before blowing themselves up. (laughs) This amateur video shows just some of the injured laying outside on the ground before the first explosion. That sound from the first blast by the arrival hall on the first floor. Travelers seemingly unaware of the attack that is about to unfold. Another surveillance video 
captures the chaos inside as one of the attackers runs into the airport. Then he's apparently shot by a police officer, his gun sliding across the floor. Seconds later, another massive explosion. Roof tiles falling, panes of shattered glass along the floor and bullets perforating the windows and walls. You don't think it's, it's real, but then people started running and running and running. So we clashed and it fell over each other. It, it was just total chaos. The third attacker detonating a third explosion at a parking lot at Ataturk Airport. Istanbul's airport is known for its heavily fortified security inside and outside the terminals. Turkey's Prime Minister says the attackers arrived at the airport by taxi. He says all indications point to ISIS, bearing chilling similarities to the deadly bombings in March at Brussels airport and subway system. So there, let's talk about that uh, ISIS connection, though. Uh, Let's bring up a little more. Turkey says ISIS appears to be responsible for the deadly terror attack that rocked Istanbul's main airport. Now, this is coming from Turkey. I don't really believe anything that comes from Turkey, but okay. So nobody, uh, nobody has like published anything like Rita Katz hasn't come out and said that ISIS claims responsibility. And, and ISIS hasn't, yeah, come out and said anything, right? But it seems like even without that, we don't really, we don't need that to, to say it's ISIS anymore. A U.S. intelligence source tells CBS News the coordinated attack took about 90 seconds. Disturbing video shows one of the attackers on the floor inside a terminal after apparently being shot by a security officer. Moments later, he blew himself up. Three suicide bombers killed at least 41 people in Tuesday's attack. Isn't it interesting uh, how much of the footage they are showing in this attack? I I was just going to comment on that. I mean, I was honestly surprised to see the CBS Morning News is showing the terrorist blow himself up. I mean, CNN on on the cable. They kind of stopped. That's one thing. And they got they got bitch slapped for it. And now here's CBS this morning is is playing. How's that breakfast cereal, Chris? (laughs) My breakfast. (laughs) Uh, I tell you what, uh, it it tastes delicious with a little blown up terrorist. Wow. I so I find it to be. I, what, I, what I find it also to be is a massive contrast between the attacks that have happened here in the U.S. Uh, where we've seen no footage of it. Right. We've seen no footage. The only footage we've seen inside that uh, that uh, gay nightclub was the uh, what's the what's the uh, Snapchat video that was yeah. released. That's the only video we've seen from that. Whereas this here, where they're actually looping the guy blowing himself up, and they even they even still frame as the explosion happens. Oh, and on the CNN, we saw the guy get shot and the gun get yeah. kicked across. Yeah, they had grenades, suicide vests, and automatic weapons. The violence wounded two hundred and thirty nine others. One American was slightly injured. Holly Williams is inside Istanbul's Ataturk Airport with new details of the massacre. Holly, good morning. Good morning. An airport official here today told us that the three suicide bombers detonated themselves in different parts of the airport. And you can see damage from one of the blasts just behind me. The Turkish Prime Minister, Binali Yildirim, says there are indications this was the work of ISIS. And U.S. officials have told us the evidence leans in that direction. So regardless, true or not, I mean, it's going, that's how it's going to be. I mean, it's, it's done. That's, that's, yeah. that's what it is. But so far, there's been no claim of responsibility. 
So I'm not sure what to make of this, but that's we're following it. So this it only happened yesterday. So we'll keep watching it. Uh, but speaking of Turkey, uh, Erdogan, your good friend, My your good buddy, buddy, the guy who runs over there. The yeah. guy's Turkish president has apologized for the death that of guy. a Russian pilot whose jet was downed over Syria in November last year. Do you remember this when this whole uh, this this totally made Russia come out? And this is after Russia got in the fight against ISIS. It was this event that then where they really got aggressive and started bombing U.S. backed uh, ISIS members. Right. And there was this event. That really pissed off Russia. And so now, now the Turkish president is apologizing for it after after saying nothing since November. In fact, wow. giving the cold shoulder and even threatening them more. According to the Russian president's spokesperson, he also added that Erdogan expressed his desire to improve relations between the two countries. Oh. The Russian jet was downed by Turkish air forces while maneuvering near the Turkish-Syrian border. And here's more from the Russian official. The Russian president has received a message from Turkish President Erdogan in which the Turkish leader said he's interested in settling the situation connected with the downing of a Russian military jet. The Turkish leader expressed his compassion and deep condolences for the relatives of the killed Russian pilot and said sorry. So he really put his tail between his leg. Wow. Uh, legs. And so I was thinking, well, what could this be about? It is summertime, and uh, tourism from Russia is a massive part of Turkey's economy, yeah. and, and and Erdogan is getting a lot of crap from from that from people. But I, that doesn't I feel mean, like maybe, that's what. Just take the high road, you know, put out the apology, and get done with it. I think I got well. I mean, what do I know, Chase? What I mean, do I know? But I got a I little bacon. I thought I smelled some bacon coming yeah. from Clovis. This is a maple bacon. Yeah. And once you cook this bacon, the whole house smells like it all day. So the rest of the show is going to stink like this bacon. But I just think the U.S. Skyped up uh, Erdogan and said, look, uh, look, look, Russia is kicking our ass. I mean, really, the problem is, is Russia's bombing our guys over there. Right. And we need it to stop. And Russia is pissed about this whole situation with Turkey. And so maybe we made a call to Turkey and said, you got to make this good. And hopefully Putin will back off. This is, you think this would be enough, though? Just an apology? Uh, or some cash considerations as well? Here's what I think. I think we have an open dialogue with Putin right now. And I think, I don't know if it's at Obama's level or if it's at Kerry's level, and I think there's a little, I think there absolutely could be for some tit for tat. Russia okay. is very concerned yeah. about its world image. I think there absolutely could be for some tit He's for tat. He's on our here. Skype favorites list. Got yeah, it. I okay. think, I think right. it's very, I mean, that's just my bacon. Okay. That's my bacon. Fair enough. Got to watch out, though, Chase, because uh, I have you are specifically about to get targeted. We're pointing Me. out here is what is happening today. Target white America's a sick new call to action from al-Qaeda, the terror group urging lone wolf jihadists to avoid targeting places where minorities are found so their attacks aren't labeled as hate crimes. Yeah, this is the before you leave the house bit in Fox. <laughs> before, this is Before you go. This is news you need to know before you leave for work today. Urging lone wolf jihadists to avoid targeting places where minorities are found so their attacks aren't labeled as hate crimes. Well, toy guns expected to top an annual list of the most dangerous toys out today. I think that's all you really need to know, but isn't that just a little wonderful segment that they have right there? Yeah, you know, those toys, man, those can be yeah, really dangerous. Yeah, let's Watchdog Group says toys that can lead to eye injuries top the list oh. this year. And oops, oops, all you need oops. is a dollar and a dream. The Mega Millions drawing jacket. Oh. Yeah. 
Isn't this just the worst? Isn't that the worst? Recycle. Um, now here's a little. Here's something the best. This is this is the U.S. media at its best. When they cover North Korea, it is just packed full of propaganda. Constant put downs. Young leader. He's you know he's in his mid thirties. He's he's not exactly old, but there are other leaders around the world that are his age. It is it is great what they do. So now it's time to break it down with CNN. North Korea's vicious young dictator. <laughs> Vicious Young. Oh, man, right off the top. That is right off the top. Vicious Young Dictator, Kim Jong-un. They try to find pictures where he just looks like a dope, too. North Korea's Vicious Young Dictator exploding with confidence tonight. His government's news anchor uses new, very aggressive language to project Kim Jong-un's threat. Ooh, new, very aggressive language. Okay. Kim Jong-un said we now have the clear capacity to directly and realistically attack American bastards who continue to attempt to invade the Pacific. <laughs> Go get those American bastards. Yeah, that is, that is. Realistically attack American bastards who continue to attempt to invade the Pacific. Kim's just tested two medium-range <laughs> ballistic missiles. One failed, but weapons monitors call the other one a partial success because the missile flew 250 miles and even briefly entered space. Saying that he can realistically attack Americans and not just the U.S. in general, that's a new level of threatening language from Kim. Right? Yeah. Isn't it interesting how they just keep revisiting this stuff all the time? Like, how many times have we played this clip, do you think? Probably once every six months. Yes. The, the potential for provocation and, and provocative language is enhanced by Kim uh, by the fact that now he has the technology that goes to match the language. When Kim perfects the so-called Musadon missiles he just tested, experts say he'll be able to strike the Aleutian Islands in Alaska or U.S. military units on Guam. <laughs> A U.S. intelligence official tells CNN tonight Kim's aggressive language, his celebration of this missile launch, underscores his regime's aspiration to be recognized as a nuclear power. He is, like, standing in front of one missile. Like it's Now, so... to be fair to our friends in, in the Aleutian Islands in Guam, uh-huh. you know, we have lots of listeners out there. I know mm-hmm. we do. We would never want them to get bombed. But when you hear North Korea has the distance capability of reaching the United States, you don't really think of Guam and the Aleutian Islands. <laughs> That's the thing. You think of California or Washington State. Yeah. Yeah. You, D.C. maybe. New York. You don't think Florida of... Florida even. You don't Texas. think of an uninhabited <laughs> island group... Yeah. I mean, Guam's inhabited, but yeah. like yeah. some of the Aleutian Islands. But. Still, there are tens of thousands of Americans in Kim's line of fire. More than 28,000 American troops are deployed in South Korea. There you go. Analysts uh. worry tonight that if Kim tries to provoke South Korea with artillery fire, maybe a commando raid, that a mishap, a miscalculation from Kim's forces could harm those Americans, then we could be in for a dangerous escalation. Oh boy! So this now we're while we're in break it down mode. That was just us warming up. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a a bombshell report that came out that uh, squarely linked. It was from the New, it was the New York Times and another news organization, which we'll talk about here in a moment. All right, that clearly linked the U.S. backing Syrian rebels with arms, weapons, training, and so the press, all of them, it's not just Matt Lee, it's not just the Russia Today gal, right. all of them have woken up, and, and, and they got, what do you smell? They smell, they, they, they smell blood in the water, and they've got questions. So uh, here is the State Department spokesperson not answering their questions at all. Joint uh, Al Jazeera, New York Times report, rather I should say New York Times Al Jazeera report, alleging that uh, some members of the Jordanian intelligence structure may have uh, taken weapons intended for rebels 
fighting against the Assad regime. U.S. weapons, by the way. That's the important link. And sold those weapons on the black market. What is this building's reaction? What conversations has it had with the Jordanian government? We all know that weapons turn up on the black market all the time. But The reason why she's saying why, what is this building's reaction is uh, there was just a press conference uh, uh, about an hour before this with the White House. And the White House spokes all said, you'll have to ask the State Department, not our jurisdiction. You don't ask us. We have no comment. Right. You need to go ask the State Department. So now they're having the State Department press conference. And now they're asking the State Department, which is who the White House just told them to ask. But given the complexity of the situation in Syria, it does raise some alarm bells. Okay. So thanks for the question. <laughs> we have no comment on that report. There is an ongoing investigation. Um, the United States remains committed to Jordan's security and stability, and we're proud to stand side by side with Jordan in the global counter ISIL coalition. Nice pre-made statement there. Now, is it true? Can you not – see, she's just a spokesperson. She's not an investigator. She's not involved with the investigation in any capacity. She's just being told what to say. Can she truly not comment? But on that particular report, there's an ongoing investigation. I just can't speak to it, Ross. Is that true? The CIA does not comment either on its uh, covert transfers of weapons, and yet it is a U.S. government policy. Who else should we ask about this? As I said, I have no comment on that. More of a policy. These weapons potentially ending up in the hands of extremists. Is it a... Again, she's asking about... She's asking not about the particular investigation. She's asking about the policy to arm them. So she's asking about the policy here. I want... So she's not even asking about the current investigation and the report. More of a policy. These weapons potentially ending up in the hands of extremists. Is it a consequence that the U.S. is willing to accept in order to prop up rebel forces in Syria? As it's an ongoing investigation, I just don't have a comment on I that. Can't. It's, can't. A, it's a policy. It's, it's not. It's not the only red flag out there. For example, um, last September, the Pentagon acknowledged that the Syrian rebels that it trained gave at least a quarter of their weapons cache to Al Nusra. How many red flags do there have to be for the She's U.S. Gonna just shut her down. To Watch this. Watch stop this. arming rebels. So we're going to leave it where I left it. Matt, you had a question? Yeah, I just, who's doing the investigation? It's actually an interagency investigation, but the State Department is contributing to it. So what So what are the other agencies involved? Yeah, I can't speak to all the, all the different agencies, but it's multiple U.S. agencies. We're contributing information. Well, but she does raise well, a good point. You know, that oh, wait, hold on, hold on, just one thing. Just, I mean, the White House was just asked about this in yeah. their briefing, right? Um, I believe they were. Yeah. You know what they did? They refused to comment on No, it. no. They referred the questions to the State Department and to the FBI. God, he's so good. I know. So it's in great. Saying, there's an ongoing investigation. But you won't, you won't even say who's doing the investigation? It's my understanding. It's interagency. It's multiple government aid. I don't so have a rundown of who exactly. If I have anything more, we'll come back to you on that. <clears throat> I, yeah, sure. I'm going to hold, hold my breath. Hold on one second. How long should I hold it? Probably not until the end of the briefing. Mm-hmm. Say I wanted to ask you, there were also allegations that these weapons were actually used to kill Americans, American trainers, and so on in Jordan. These weapons were used to kill American trainers. So we supplied these terrorists with weapons, and then they killed our own trainers. And so they're all nailing her on this. Yeah, I'm not I, I, as it's ongoing, it. I really can't say it. <coughs> Man. Okay. Ross. She was raising, she was touching on a really good point. Yeah. Is there any reason why the U.S. government should be in the business of providing weapons to anyone who is not a part of a nation-state's military because it seems every time that some rebel group gets its hands on U.S.-provided weapons, they end up in the wrong hands. They end up being sold for, you know, 
whatever on the black People. market. Is this something that U.S. foreign policy and military policy really should even be considering? Now, now you're going to be really surprised, actually, by her answer to this. I know you'd like a comment on it, Roz. I just can't at this I point. Can't. If we have more that I can offer on it, you know, we certainly will. But just I would love to get the I just can't. If somebody could clip me the I just Chris, can't. I just can't. And military policy We've really get this. should Hold even on. Somebody be get this considering. One. I know you'd like a comment on it, Roz. I just can't. At this point, if we have more that I can offer on it, you know, we certainly will. But just oh, in yeah. general oh, terms, sure you yeah, is this, just, is this just really a good idea? I can't. Now, it just the, I, I just can't. That's what it's got to be. And then so now, now the, you got to, you got, what you got, what do you do when you have a major scandal on your hands? Look over there, everybody. Whoa, what's that? What's that? Over the past two years, harassment and surveillance of our diplomatic personnel in Moscow by security personnel and traffic police have increased significantly. So she is writing a statement about the treatment uh, of U.S. personnel in Moscow by Moscow security forces. Other Western embassies have reported the same thing. The safety and well-being of our diplomatic and consular personnel abroad and their accompanying family members are things we take very seriously. We have raised and we will continue to raise at the highest level any incidents inconsistent with protections guaranteed by international law. This is the spokesperson right now for the State Department. So, of course, Russia's come back and said, your face, actually, it's the opposite. So it's, it's another a he said, she said situation. Uh, it's kind of funny. That's their that's their diversion. Are you ready to break down the uh, the Brexit? Are you ready to break it, break it, break it, break it down? Should we? You know what? Let's do our Patreon mention just super quick here. Uh, I don't. Do we have anything in the thirty three sack? Are you? Re- do you need a moment to prepare? Uh, no, I I don't. Uh, okay. We, I, okay. I did put out the call the earlier bags today. Free, bags empty though. The the uh, the, the mailman has not come today. So uh, the unfiltered show uh, to keep. We're going to start as the patrons go up. We're going to start reducing the length of our uh, Patreon plug segment here. And one of the ways we're doing that is. Uh, we're going to maybe in the future, as these hopefully these notes come in, we'll spend some of this time instead of mentioning our Patreon page and how that makes the show possible. We'll talk. We'll read their note and respond to that and just say, hey, you know, patreon.com slash unfilter. Uh, but this week is a great example. Uh, I, I hope as a patron when when the when the Brexit actually went through and the leave party won, I hope you thought I know unfilter is going to break this down. When the shooting in the Turkey airport happened, I hope you went, I know one filter is going to break this down. That's what your contribution is going to, is making us keep going for you every single week, helping us make that possible to be here every single week, with the exception of next week because I'll be on vacation, breaking this stuff down. Although even, even, the, even then, the news collection continues. Uh, the, show really, the show really works seven days a week to do news collection and curation. And so that's really what your support does. Plus, as a supporter... Uh, you get access to a bunch of nice back-end features. You get access to the community. There's some more stuff coming there. We have the 33 level, like I mentioned, for the uh, swag and for the commenting on the show by getting your note in here. We also have the supporter sync, which is the source code to our entire show. And there's some other things in the Patreon feed that are worth checking out too that I'll just I'll – just, I won't – I'll leave it for your discovery. You don't even have to be a patron. Just go over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to 455 of you. It would be great as a little, uh, hey, Chris, thanks for taking a vacay. Give me a little, uh, give me a little thanks by going over Because you know what? <laughs> it took, it, the reason why I say that is otherwise I'm going to kill myself one of these days working on these shows all the time. I got to take breaks. You have to. So this is a long-term uh, strategy to uh, sustain podcasting. <laughs> uh, sustainable podcasting by taking breaks from time to time, at least once every eight years. All right. Let's shift gears. Are you ready, Chase? 
I'm this ready to CNN's head to the situation room. In the situation room. Yeah, so the Brexit was big news. In fact, I don't the, the, the news networks didn't even really expect it because they didn't have their A teams covering it live. They had all their B players covering it. And well, CNN kicked it over to their uh, yeah. London bureau. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that was sort of interesting in itself just to watch that. But uh, I think we'll start right here with everybody's favorite on the show. Uh, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to play this clip and then I have something. Is it I, Quest? I, I have something. I, no, it's uh, Farage. And it's something I need uh, to get off my chest. But let's play this clip and then I'm, and then, and then I'm going to put my cards on the table. All right. Dare to dream that the dawn is breaking on an independent United Kingdom. 4 a.m. in London. This, this if, all, if the predictions now are right, this will be a victory for real people, a victory for ordinary people, a victory for decent people. So, uh, Chase, I, I gotta before we go any further, I, I have yeah. to put a, I have to do a couple of things I need to just cover, and then we're gonna we have a lot of Brexit stuff to clip to play. Uh, this I feel like um, wasn't covered very well here in the U.S. It wasn't covered until the last day or so before before the right. Brexit. Yeah, which I predicted, by the way, mm-hmm. we we would talk about it, but it wasn't going to be as nearly as covered. However, you and I were on it. When did we play our first Farage clip? When oh, we got so much pushback. For it that. was like a week or two prior to it. No, 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 no. This. Oh, you talking about not about the Brexit? You mean just about Farage? The first time we played Farage, and oh, we got all the feedback oh, about him gosh. being while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and after so so the so the brief history is we played a Farage clip and say this and basically the premise of the clip was this guy seems really well spoken. He's 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 on about leaving the EU and he really just seems to be calling people out. This is way before Trump. Right. This is I a year and a half maybe 2 years ago. We played this on the show. Yeah. It was a while ago. And and we were like what what something there's something here. And we received some of the most critical feedback we've ever gotten on this show. Lots of, he's a racist, you guys have lost a, a listener, uh, you don't know what you're talking about, you're way out of your league, you guys see everything through an American filter. Like, we were just slammed by, and, and it, was so, it, was such a, it was so much pushback that I sort of, I sort of pulled back on our, our world coverage a little bit and just sort of like, I had to like, what did I get wrong? I had to, I, I had to like reanalyze. Like, yeah, you went back and reanalyze. Like, like what did I yeah, miss? The right. audience is so pissed. Like, what did I? What was my miscalculation? And because I couldn't put my finger on it, I just haven't played any clips about the Brexit or Nigel Farage until a couple of weeks ago. Right. And now, now here we are on the other side of the Brexit, and I'm I'm a little butthurt about it because I feel like we were on to something and he he does there is something to win to what he's saying I'm not saying by the way I'm not saying he anything about who he is or if he's right or wrong I'm saying he's getting traction just like Donald Trump gets traction just right. yeah. there there is traction that is getting had here and we were on to something and we got smacked down on it so I guess what my call out my plea is is a, is a way to fix this is I think we need a sounding board we need we need an on the scenes reporter over there somebody who could call in or give us like a, a actually be great is record something on SoundCloud and send it to us. Somebody who could do some reporting that we could get some information with. So tweet me at Chris LAS and let's you and I let's figure out if you could maybe be a contributor, an on the scene Brexit reporter. Maybe we could have a couple of them and I'll vet them out in the overtime segment for a while, see how their contribution is, and we can start adding to the show because we were so pistol whipped, pistol whipped, 
we by were, that. We totally were. That it, it made us super gun shy on the topic, and now here we are post Brexit, and I'm 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 a little I'm a little miffed by it. Because I think we were onto something, and I think part of the reaction that people had to Nigel Farage is part of the problem about covering this. It, it, it's what happens in discussion now is it seems to be if you are anti-immigration or if you have an issue with immigration, you get labeled as a racist. If you don't want Muslims coming into the country, you get labeled as a racist. Then now, now we all just commonly agree that Donald Trump is a racist and Nigel Farage is a racist because they have issues with immigration, so therefore that makes them racist. Now, maybe maybe in actuality they are actually racist, but the issue is the conversation in the media. That's the baseline. They're racist because they because they have issues with immigration, and then the conversation proceeds. Well, that guy's a racist. This person's a racist, and it never we never really stop and break it down and, and actually have a genuine conversation. It just starts becoming these talking points that we throw at each other. It's extremely it's extremely difficult to have a rational conversation about something as passionate as this. Uh, and we have seen all kinds of reactions post vote. The markets, for one, have been have been sort of a disaster. A special report. Now reporting, David Muir. Good morning. I'm David Muir. And now we go right to the breaking news that came in overnight. Britain voting to leave the European Union and then UK Prime Minister David Cameron surprising everyone suddenly stepping down. Global markets across the world have been in a free fall uh, and there are fears the economy right here at home uh, will follow suit. Wall Street getting ready to open. I want to bring in our chief business. So there was, of course, immediate reporting about the uh, fallout of the Brexit, the backlash. Um, and of course, Scotland was immediately pissed. Scotland faces the prospect of being taken out of the EU against our will. I regard that as democratically unacceptable. And of course, we face that prospect less than two years after being told that it was our own referendum on independence that would end our membership of the European Union and that only a rejection of independence could protect it. Indeed, for many people, the supposed guarantee of remaining in the EU was a driver in their decision to vote to stay within the UK. So there is no doubt that yesterday's result represents a significant and a material change of the circumstances in which Scotland voted against independence in 2014. So Scotland's going to be raising a bit of a problem. Some people think that Scotland, this could be... Scotland's issue here could be a major issue. And right now, this decision, this referendum that was passed, or whatever you call it, isn't binding. Yet. Well, yeah. And, and this is where I was going to – I mean, it's not really conspiracy-ish. And uh, there's a lot of theories on this, and I've been reading about them. Don't you find it very, very unusual? And everybody put it under the guise of, oh, you know, his speech was very inspirational. But I'm talking about the prime minister, David Cameron's speech. When he saw the writing was on the wall, because he's the one, obviously, who called for this referendum. He's the one who wanted to put it to the vote of the people. A simple yes or no, hey, stay me, or let go. Let me play this. Let me play this yeah. clip for you, because I, I, uh, I have this. Uh, and this is this, oh, this was, is when he wanted it. Right. This is when he was running. Oh, geez. That, that Scotland clip was so low that I had this one turned way up. Sorry. For us. And if there is no appetite for a new treaty for us or for us all, then, of course, Britain would be ready to address the changes we need in a negotiation with our European partners. So the next Conservative manifesto in 2015 
will ask for a mandate from the British people for a conservative government to negotiate a new settlement with our European partners in the next parliament. It will be a relationship with the single market at its heart. And when we have negotiated that new settlement, we will give the British people a referendum with a very simple in or out choice. OMG, OMG, to stay OMG. in the European Union on these new terms or to come out altogether. Yeah, so Mr. Stay himself was the one that sort of started this shitstorm for himself because of conflicts within his own party. Right. So they put it to a vote. Obviously, the vote went to leave. And so instead of immediately invoking Article 50, which would start the two-year clock on pulling the UK out of the union, he resigned. And he said, I, you know, you guys have spoken. I'm pulling myself out of this. It's going to be up to new leadership to guide you in the new direction. Which made me think, there's the out. There's the out right there. Because the new person coming in could go, you know what, hey, we're going to renegotiate with the EU. We'll put it to another vote, another referendum. And guess what? They're going to stay. So let's... That's, uh, I mean... Let's, that's interesting. Let's, I'm going to red book it right now. They're let's staying. see then. If, if we accept your premise, uh, and uh, I, think that's, I think it's a reasonable one, let's look at them. Then I think you could look at this next clip as them building the case, uh, giving us all the reasons why uh, a revote would be great. Now to our other major story, the historic decision by British voters for their country to exit the European Union sent economic shockwaves from the UK to the US and a tidal wave of economic worries swamping the markets. The Dow lost over 3% of its value, wiping out all its gains for the year. The EU, established to bring unity and greater economic clout to Europe, is in crisis as Europe, the U.S., and the rest of the world absorb the profound ramifications. We have full coverage beginning with NBC's so the chat in London. So the chairman saying, not a chance. You cannot have a PM who backed Remain. Uh, it would be an F to the uh, FU to the 52%. You know, I, I, here's what I think about that. I think that's very much that's very much true. That it's if, right now today. So why did, then why didn't he invoke Article Fifty so when he said he was? Me, uh, going so to. It, right now today, yeah. right now today, uh, if a politician came in and said, uh, "I'm I'm going to be all about Remain, vote for me," they probably wouldn't have a chance. However, give it till October, and you keep building the case. It was an earthquake. Britain turning its back on Europe. A shaken prime minister. Earthquake turning its back. Now, who? What, what citizen wants to turn their back on somebody? Resigning. But I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. Beaten by a campaign that aimed to take back control from the European Union. Let June the 23rd go down in our history as our Independence Day. Anti-elite, uh, anti-establishment. That's a movie quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there a promotional tie-in yeah, somewhere? Yeah, I know, right? Establishment, yeah. it borrowed from the Trump Anybody? campaign. Oh. Its leader heckled, but now favorite to lead the country. It's about the right of the people of this country to settle their own destiny. Britain will now leave the union of 28 countries. Anxiety over jobs and immigration, the crucial issues. Foreigners, get them out, kick them all out. The vote to leave was roughly 52-48. Out of all of the people they interviewed, the NBC National News, they went and got, and they got a quote from people down in the scene of it all, and that's the clip they use. With voters who were English, older, and poorer sealing the victory. 
Some voted to protest, then regretted it. The whole family this morning, even though the majority of us voted to leave, we are actually regretting it today. Uh, yeah, there wait, was a lot of that. Wait, Buyer's wait, remorse, a lot wait, of that. Um, it's not a practice vote. It's a real vote, people. <laughs> and And I got to say, when you see this kind of stuff, you're going to see people do that here. Yeah. With Trump, you think? Oh, absolutely. You're going to see people go, you know, hey, I voted Trump, but I didn't think he was going to win or something along those lines. And let's say he, that happens, right? All right, hold that. Let's not go uh, there because that's another trend. I think we should pick that up in a second. But all right, all right. more market stuff. This number to keep in mind, $830 billion lost in the U.S. markets today alone. The impact of that vote in Britain here in America was immediate. The value of the pound currency falling overnight to its lowest level since 1985. Look Vacation at the graph time. there. Just the difference between Thursday and that precipitous drop on Friday. The value of the pound plummeting. ABC's chief business correspondent. See, they're 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 pounding it into you. They're pounding it into you. What a bad decision this is. This is. A, they mean all of the reports. Certainly, is, you can't be serious. And actually, you know, the funny thing is, is if depending if you're smart, this actually is not necessarily a bad thing for the markets overall. In fact. Uh, you could say it could be a gift to Wall Street long term. Um, Brexit is upon us. But what does that mean for the Fed? One market expert tells us what's next. Welcome to Trading Nation. I'm Susan Lee. Peter Schiff of Europe Pacific Capital joining us over the phone. Now, you know, what's kind of unique about Peter Schiff is he's got a pretty good record about calling a lot of things like the 2008 financial collapse. You know, uh, so a lot he knows people, some things. A lot of people, a lot of people respect his opinion on this. All right, post-Brexit chit-chat. Good to have you, Peter. So, why should Janet Yellen be happy about this vote? Janet Yellen, of course, head of the Fed, she'd be the one that would be announcing uh, rate increases from the Fed, which would affect all of the banks' lending rates. Well, I think it's just what the doctor ordered as far as getting her out of jail free. You know, she's kind of boxed herself into a corner because she doesn't want to admit how weak the U.S. economy is. But then she doesn't want to actually raise rates, but she keeps talking about the fact that raising rates is appropriate because the economy is strong. But the reason she can't raise rates is because she knows the economy is weak. And so this gives her the perfect excuse. Now she can blame her failure to raise rates on Brexit and all of the turmoil that has resulted. In fact, she can even use this as an excuse to cut rates back to zero and launch QE4. Now, that's what she was going to do anyway, but now she doesn't have to admit that it's the U.S. economy that's the problem. She can blame it on uh, Brexit. Well, the last time they cut rates and launched uh, QE was the last crisis. Do you think this is the start of another one? No, I mean, this is maybe a man-made crisis. I mean, first of all, uh, everybody was warning uh, the Brits not to vote for this because they were drumming up all these horrible things that would happen if they voted for the Brexit. I mean, obviously, if we hadn't built up all this hysteria, I, I don't think we'd have this kind of reaction in the market. I, I do actually kind of agree. And, I agree with that. You know, so I think he's kind of on it. Also, Farage says, knock it off. Our viewers in the United States yeah. who are watching now and wondering what on earth is going to happen to Britain. How can Britain thrive, I didn't say survive, I say thrive, outside the European Union when the banks have been decimated in the share price and the threats have been very severe? You know, yesterday... The and the pound has fallen 50, 13, 14%. Yeah. And FTSE's up 3% today, 12% up since its lows in February. Sterling is marginally lower than it was in February. So can we stop this nonsense about the markets? You know, the pound has been in a bear market since July 2014. Fact. Now, American viewers, imagine if NAFTA 
was a political union. Imagine if a court in Mexico could overrule anything that Congress did. Imagine if you had free movement of people with Mexico. How would you feel? You wouldn't like it. And what we're doing in the UK, we're reasserting our democratic rights, and in terms of business and trade, we'll go on trading. You are starting to sound, in some way, with the similar policies to Donald Trump. Now, he admires the Brexit result. He said it was fantastic, it was brilliant. Do you admire <laughs> Donald Trump in this US presidential election? Well, Donald Trump dares to talk about things that other people want to brush under the carpet. But what Mr Trump is doing in America is very different to what I'm trying to do in the United Kingdom. My problem in politics is far greater than Donald Trump's. We literally have lost our sovereignty, lost our borders, lost our ability he to regulate. He would say the same thing about US borders. Uh, well, the problem that you've got in the US is illegal immigration. Our problem is legal immigration. <laughs> All right, so let's stop there just for a sec. Wow. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of uh, kind of interesting. You know, how, let's talk about the Trump angle. Like well, you we couldn't up. help but notice the similarity between the slogan used by those who voted to leave the UK, take back our country, and the one that Donald Trump uses, make America great again. I don't actually see this, really see it. I mean, well, well, Trump has said, "Take, let's take our country back." Yeah, he has said that. Yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, but that's not what those two signs say. No, no. One sign says, "Britain first, take our taking our country back," and another one says, "Trump, make America great again." This taking our country back, there's no taking. There's no. There's no word that ends in ing. There's no r in here. There's no. Wait, back. no, no. Wait, no. I got it. Taking our country back. Do they mean that they want to take? The United States back because we <laughs> rebelled. Ding yourself there, buddy. That's we rebelled <laughs> away and they want to. I just. Take here's, us back? here's why I bring it up. There's about a million ways you could compare Farage and Trump, and the one that CBS News leads with is the signs that don't actually seem that similar. The slogan used by those who voted to leave the UK. Nationalism, yeah, okay. All right. You could argue nationalism, I suppose. Yeah. Take back our country. And the one that Donald Trump uses, make America great again. But what what political candidate doesn't have nationalism? I mean, uh, I mean, it's not great. I hate it. It's most the, one of the most annoying things about politics, but super normal, especially for the Republican candidate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dean Reynolds found a number of parallels between politics in the U.S. and the U.K. <laughs> Jack McInerney is a Trump delegate from Illinois to next month's national convention and something of an insurgent. Remember those bumper stickers? Question authority? I like those bumper stickers. Like many Trump supporters and the candidate himself, this insurance salesman from the Chicago suburbs applauds the British decision to leave the European Union. Will the establishment in America wake up to what happened? Oh yeah, on January 20th next year, when uh, DJT takes the oath of office. Trump won the Republican primary in Illinois, and in discussions with a number of his supporters, they all applauded the disruptive nature of his campaign, his politically incorrect stands, and the trouble he causes for the political class. So we'll Just talk, as the vote I, in Britain made the prime minister quit. I think we could talk more about Trump in a moment, uh, but I think that is there are some parallels. I think there are some parallels. I, I makes me, it does make me think that if that if the Brexit could happen, that Trump could happen here. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, especially when you have people in the UK, and I saw this on Google Trends, and actually there were some news stories about it where people were Googling what is the EU, what is the UK yeah. position in the EU you know, that actually, after the vote. That kind of upset me. I felt like, 
I felt like that was actually a real D-bag move by the media to come out and just sort of make fun of the public for that. Like, oh, look at the stupid people. They don't even know what they're doing that they're voting but for. But you know what? Actually, and I, I disagree. And I, I feel I, like it's – I think it's incumbent upon the media – I, I, to, it, to tell people these no. things, like they're making fun of people when they're the ones that are in a position to inform the people. They don't do their job. They don't inform the people. And then they make fun of the people for I, not being informed. I disagree. I, I think it's a person's responsibility to become informed on their own. Sure, absolutely. But and there it, is actually, at least in the United States, there is a legal requirement for using that airspace to actually have some of it be for the public good. Right. But, you know, but, but that doesn't negate the personal responsibility that someone needs to do and do the research on their own. And if they're not doing the research on their own and they're doing it after the fact and putting just the blame on the news, I, I, I can't get behind that. I think what it People is, gotta I think be responsible why, for themselves. The reason why I think some of the blame still goes to the media is because it demonstrates the very fact that they weren't doing due diligence oh, I'm and not, coverage. I'm not saying they that... They weren't properly covering this news story, so people, people aren't yeah. informed. I'm not saying that they're immune from blame. I'm just saying you can't pull... Put 100% of the blame on them. And I also think, yeah, I agree with uh, Vert in the chat room too. It's insulting to say that. So then they just come right out and say, like, the people that have voted to exit are stupid. Like, they just come out and say they're the uneducated and they're old and cranky, stupid people. And that's, that also seems extremely insulting. I think it well, is. Well, they didn't say the people that voted to exit are stupid. Oh, they, they did. No, what they said was people were Googling. No, no, not I mean, just that. Oh, okay. No, not just that. Literally, there are clips where they say they well, they don't say stupid. They say the undereducated or the uneducated. They, they but actually, some of them actually just said dumb. I mean, really, like the, right. they are calling them stupid. And what I think it is, Chase, is I think where the parallels to Trump come in is not in what they what the individuals say or what the individuals stand for. It is the the action that the people are taking. The message that the people are sending by voting to for Brexit or by voting for Trump, what they are saying is implicitly stating anything but Brussels, anything but the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., anything but the established political but, because but the we have that, no faith in them but the, and we'll break the system rather than continue to use the but system. But the mode of that thinking is Oops, uh, uh, the mode of that thinking is you're not going to break the system even voting in a Trump. You're not going to break the system. Well, they might think that. I mean, but they see, that's the thing, that. though. That that's the thing. That, that's that you being a cynical. That's you being a cynical uh, commentator. It, they might be all. They might be all. You know, smoking the the Trump pipe, thinking that he's going to bring in uh, uh, people that are great, and they're going to make great decisions, and they're going to make now jobs look, great. Now look, Chris. You know, all you have to do is hope that the changes that he's going to put forth. Yeah, hope and change, yeah. yeah. I think it is a bit of that. It, it, Obama represented, uh, it's what Bernie represented too. Uh, Obama in 2008, it's what Bernie represents, it's what Trump represents. It's somebody who isn't the establishment. It's the exact opposite of what Hillary Clinton is. Um, here's a clip on why the Brexit may not end up happening too. From Bloomberg. Bloomberg, Bloomberg. One of the most important things to, to remember about this referendum is that it's what's called an advisory referendum, yeah. uh, which means it's non-binding, uh, which means that the prime minister uh, is not under any obligation, legal obligation, uh, to, to act on it. Now, of course, Parliament has said, and, and, and David Cameron has said, that, that it will be acted on. But if you're looking um, at the letter of the law, it can be overturned. One thing that could happen, for example, is that uh, if, we, if we saw snap elections, 
And if in the course of those elections you saw the emergence um, of a political party that actively went to the voters and said, because of the unexpected uh, fallout from, uh, from Brexit, from the referendum, we are now giving you a choice. Yes, 17.4 million people voted against it, but you still had millions and millions of people who also voted to stay in the European Union so the, so, and who now feel quite angry and upset about it. Um, so there is a, a, a huge constituency of people out there um, who might be ready to vote for a party that runs on a, on a platform to overturn uh, the referendum. So this could offer, interestingly, a way back for the, for the Lib Dems. So I think that's what's – I mean that, that seems to be a very likely possibility. Part of me almost wishes they go through with it just to see – just to see what happens to their economy, just to see how do they – how because I don't think they would actually be devastated. I think – I think human nature is to make the best out of a situation and you that's when you get innovative, that's when you get creative, and that's when new industries pop up, that's when I, – I actually think it would be really sort of an amazing thing if they stayed out. I don't well, think – Well, you know, when the union was created, it was you know created obviously after the aftermath of World War II and a lot of the countries uh, were in shambles. And it was one of those ways that they can come together kind of like a co-op in a lot of ways, you know, buying power, getting together – um, you know, having free exchange of commerce and borders. And, and now here we are in the 21st century, um, and those kind of trading and immigration and a lot of those policies um, have not changed or changed depending on, you know, what point of view you have. And so now in the 21st century, could they survive on their own? Absolutely. Um you know, and then you're going to have a less united kingdom, you know, <laughs> Scotland, if they, if that thing goes through. But I think it's one of those situations where yeah. I, I think the reason why David, like I said, David Cameron stepped step, stepped out immediately because he's he's pushing the ball down the road. Because obviously, I don't think this is going to go through. I just don't yeah, see yeah, it. I wonder, Even though they could do it, they're playing the the EU is playing hardball too. Leaders of European Union countries just wrapped up an emergency summit in Brussels. They vow to stay together even if Britain leaves the EU. The meeting was held without Britain's leader, who was told to leave. Oh! Charlie Daggett is outside the Houses of Parliament in London, where the heated Brexit debate continues. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. Prime Minister David Cameron staked his career on staying in the EU. Not only was he sent packing from Brussels, he had to face the music here in Parliament, while the EU discussed the future without the UK. Europe's heavy hitters came to play ball in Brussels this morning, but for the first time in more than 40 years, Britain's on the other team. Even the president of tiny EU member Lithuania made that clear. Today is about us, what we are going to do uh, about our unity. Back See, in Parliament so today, for Prime Minister... It's posturing right now because they haven't invoked Article 50. Right. So for them to leave them out of the meeting is definitely political. It has nothing to do with the vote. I totally agree. David Cameron was desperately pushing for British unity. There were people who have a deep sense of patriotism on both sides of the argument. I also agree with him. It's time for people and our country to come together. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said if Britain's going, the sooner the better. And it shouldn't be allowed to cherry pick the parts of the EU membership it liked. Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte offered more backhand support. Saying yes, the UK had collapsed politically, monetarily, constitutionally and economically. But for those reasons, it should be out of the question to demand Britain act right away. Alone and isolated, the UK is under threat of an internal breakup, too. 
Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is in Brussels and on a mission to keep Scotland in Europe. Isn't this interesting? Yeah. It's interesting how this is all being positioned. Scots voted overwhelmingly to remain in the EU, something Scottish EU Parliament member Alan Smith reiterated in a rousing speech. Scotland did not let you down. Please, I beg you, cher collègue, do not let Scotland down now. In addressing Parliament, the Prime Minister told British politicians that keeping this country together was of paramount importance. And for Scotland to remain engaged in Europe, Scotland and the UK should speak as one. Oh. You know, All right, Charlie Daggett in London. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. One of the things that I, the, one of the first things that crossed my mind, and I just can't see. This is one of the other reasons I really can't see the Brexit working out. Are you familiar at all with the city of London? Yeah, it is. It is. There's in in this in this the city of London. Uh, it's a city and a county within itself. It has its own local authority called the City of London Corporation. It has its own financial situation. It's like a tax haven. Uh, I, I'll check it out on Wikipedia. It's really fascinating. Um, it is. It is. It is. Uh, it is a really interesting read. Go look it up. Uh, so it's like a city within the city, and uh, I don't know. I, I just. It seems to me that it's a critical part of how the elite move things around, and uh, the elite all over the uh, all over the EU. So if 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 Brexit were to go through, I'm not. I don't know where the uh, elite would uh, funnel their money through. I don't really know. I don't really know. Uh, but anything, you have any other thoughts on Brexit? I think we just have to now wait and see. Yeah, no, I, I, I honestly think it's uh, it's not going to happen. Dude, uh, I, I don't think I really? don't see it happening. No. Uh, Chase goes on the record. Yeah, and the only the only reason is you know obviously you got a lot of passionate people that don't want this to happen. David Cameron, by the way, stepping away, saying I don't want to be the leader yeah, of this political. Ship. Yeah, I know it's political crap, but then again, it's like he could have invoked Article 50 and then said, good night, drop the mic and have a nice day. But he didn't because, I mean, honestly, he took a, a chicken crap way out. He really did because he said, oh, I'm going to stand by this vote of the people. I'm going to do what they say. And guess what? He's stepping away. He's not doing it, hmm. which tells me that why would you who would you like to be the next prime minister that invokes Article 50? Yeah, right. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll keep watching. We'll keep watching. Uh, you know what I say to that? You know what I say to that? Mm. It's going to be a lot of good upcoming shows. Uh-huh. Now, we won't, I'm, just, I'm just thinking we won't be here. And I, we won't be here next week, but there's going to be a lot of stuff to cover in this. Right. Again, I'd love to have like a correspondent over there who give us some information, maybe record us some clips on SoundCloud. I'd really appreciate that. All right, you want to just talk really quick about that sit-in that was happening last week? It wrapped up. I want to play this for you. Just, just briefly. We're going out down the steps to greet the people outside. So we're going out on the steps. We're going to greet the people outside. This is them ending the uh, the sit-in that you, we were talking about last week. Yeah, that's right. It's about 20 hours, I think. people around the world yeah. are with us. Yeah. They are with us. Now watch. He's not doing a religious sermon. Right? Yeah. Kind of has that cadence, though. And as he wraps up, the people around him, like Pelosi, they say amen. So thank you very much. See how she said amen? She said amen there? Oh, man. Let's go home. Yeah. We're done here. John Lewis, uh, the uh, congressman, the civil rights icon who helped lead this sit in. 
to protest the fact that there was no vote on the floor of the House of Representatives on gun control flanked by Nancy Pelosi, the minority leader, the Democratic leader, and Steny Hoyer, the minority whip. Uh, they've just wrapped up this uh, sit-in that I they mean, had going since yesterday. I want to bring in our senior political... I know we're talking about it. Hmm. But other than us talking about it, we haven't heard much about it, have we? What's that? In the news. No, 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 no. It was totally posturing. No. And I I know people were like, why aren't we talking about it? This is historical. It was political posturing because here's the thing. Even if they got it to a vote, it wasn't going to pass the Senate. It wasn't going to go anywhere. But they did give Warren a chance to bring in some pizza. That was, yeah. or no, donuts. It was, donuts. it was donuts. It was donuts. Did you hear this? You know, there's a story about Bernie Sanders this week that you would think would be getting all of the play. All of the play. When the day comes in November and Sanders has to cast his vote, to whom does it go? What do you think he's about to say here? And all likely it will go to Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. I, I, it got a little play. Yeah, a little play. A little he's play. essentially out of the race. When you say in all likelihood I would vote for Hillary Clinton, well, well, who else would you vote for? Well, certainly. Look, let me also be very clear, and thank you for asking that. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that Donald Trump is defeated. So there's zero chance you vote for Donald Trump? Oh, God, please. How about Gary Johnson? No, no. So it got a little play. It got a little play. But I was like, that's he's essentially out at that point. Uh, and of course, uh, like I mentioned, Warren and Clinton getting buddy Kristen buddy. Fisher in D.C. for the latest on the race for the White House. Kristen. Yeah, let's try this again, Abby. So, <laughs> yesterday, she really lived up to her reputation as someone who's not afraid to take on Trump. It's one of the reasons that she's shot to the top list uh, for Clinton's list for VP. I do just love to see how she gets under Donald Trump's thin skin. As Elizabeth made clear, Donald Trump proves every day he's not in it for the American people. He's in it only for himself. And Elizabeth reminds us of that every chance she gets. Donald Trump says he'll make America great again. It's, it's right there. No, it's stamped on the front of his goofy hat. You want to see goofy? Look at him in that hat. <laughs> I like the highbrow. Uh, I like the highbrow. You know, everybody there. comes down on Trump. You know, to be fair, Chris, we got to be uh, fair and balanced here. You know, everybody comes down on Trump when he makes uh, you know observations about females, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren is mm-hmm. making an observation about men, mm-hmm. and particularly Donald Trump. And you know, I got to say, you know, here uh, on the Fox News desk, that you know that in itself, right there, is a little hypocritical. I agree. So the uh, I do I've, I've thought that for a while that they make a lot of fun of Trump and his appearance, uh, and I think it's I think there's I actually think there is some news value in commenting on a person's appearance if you do it properly and appropriately. But I don't think the way people have been doing it is appropriate. Yeah. Speaking of appropriate, this uh, final report about the attack in Benghazi, which oh, is that came out yesterday. This story is one of my one of my yeah. favorites, just because you and I we went right on the air when that happened, and we both said this YouTube storyline is BS. This is not true at all, and uh, that that I, I think is I liked our our sniff test on that. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of data at the time. Anyways, that's a long time ago, and the final report is out. After a two-year investigation, the Republican-led House Select Committee on Benghazi has released its final report on the 2012 terror attack. And they said chasing Chris Ultimately, the 800-page report found no new evidence of wrongdoing by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. The report did, however, find fault with the State Department and the military. One commander testified that Marines responding to the attack had to change in and out of uniforms 
four times. The State Department what? responded to that claim. You know, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about them wearing uniforms that weren't theirs? Yeah. wonder if that's what's going on. I can assure you that there was no back and forth over them changing their uniforms that caused a delay in these uh, individuals being deployed to Benghazi. You know, the thing is, though, they, they were sitting there wringing their hands inside the White House about instead of protecting Americans, it seems from reading this report that they were wringing their hands over PR and whether they would offend the Libyans or not. Uh, and they were sitting there obsessed over a YouTube video, uh, five of their 10 action items in the White House meeting uh, on, the, on the day that these Americans were being killed and the U.S. ambassador was being killed. Hmm. They were obsessing over a YouTube video that was irrelevant to the entire situation. Man, you know what, Chase? I just can't. I can't. It was. Forget about Hillary Clinton. This is a condemnation of the entire administration bungling uh, the situation from the beginning. Both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton reacted to the Benghazi report. Trump tweeting, Benghazi is just another Hillary Clinton failure. It just never seems to work the way it's supposed to with Clinton. And here's how Hillary Clinton responded. After more than two years and $7 million spent by uh, the Benghazi committee out of taxpayer funds, Bad uh, it had to today report it had found nothing nothing to contradict uh, the conclusions of the Independent Accountability Board. I'll leave it to others to characterize uh, this uh, report, but I think it's pretty clear uh, it's time to move on. You know, wow. John Meacham, this is the Clintons. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, this is the oldest trick in the book for the Clintons. Oh, we've had this many investigations and this money's been spent. Yeah. Let's move on. I think Republicans who have politicized this too much from the day of the attack yep. and the day after the attack when Mitt Romney held a press conference before we knew anything that was going on. And I criticized him in real time. Yep. This is the first time I've seen anything that makes me think, wait a second. Yeah. We actually need to talk about this more and have have agencies and leaders talking to each other after we did after the desert debacle in 1980. I wonder, too, Chase, uh, you know, you look at this kind of stuff. It, it, she seems to be just she seems to be skating through just fine right now on some of this stuff. Uh, not the result the Republicans were hoping for after all of this time. After all this time, not the hope, not what they were, you know, it's just. Well, once the shoe finally drops, right, on uh, what, isn't Uma uh, testifying on the email uh, yeah. today or tomorrow? And yeah. Something, you know. It's all done with something, that. But something's going to drop by the election. Something big is going to happen. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Right. Uh, you know, there's just one follow-up story to the uh, Russian hacker slash uh, Guccifer hacker. It wasn't yeah. a Russian hacker. Well, they're still arguing. They're actually still trying to argue that it was. Uh. It's kind of adorable. But we do have one more development. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. A fresh new controversy for Hillary Clinton. New leaked email showing how Hillary's staff keeps tabs on members of the press. Now, this is actually 
super creepy. Check this out. Great. Anna Coyman, the co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend, is here with all those details. Good morning, Anna. Harkens back to that video. You remember where the press is, is lassoed with, with a rope. We'll see that in a moment. But if sharing top secret information, government information, or charging millions of dollars in fees for speeches wasn't enough, now it appears Hillary Clinton's staff kept tabs on specific members of the media to keep them from asking any unwanted questions. The hacker, known as Gustafer 2.0, who claimed to have broken into the DNC computer system, now releasing new emails to the smoking gun taken from a Clinton volunteer's Gmail account. One shows staffers doing surveillance on a Chicago reporter, Lynn Sweet, who was assigned to Clinton's campaign. Quote, let's keep an eye on her. Yes, I'm sitting next to her on the bus. They're, that means they're following the reporter. My gosh. And tracking every move of a CNN reporter while at a campaign speech. Quote, watch out for Dan Merica, center right. French journos and Dan Merica heading to stage right. This isn't the first time the press has been restricted from getting close to Mrs. Clinton. And in Independence Day parade last year in New Hampshire, her campaign literally roped off members of the media as she moved down the street, prohibiting them from getting close enough to, to ask any unwanted questions. While the actions of her staff certainly are not illegal, it does raise questions about how transparent her administration intends to be if she wins the White House. Oh, could you imagine if they're following reporters now before she's in the White House? <laughs> oh, boy, Chase, that's just a scary thought. All right, let's talk about uh, Trump for just a moment. Uh, back to the Brexit. Yes, Trump had uh, had coverage uh, right as the right as America was waking up, as the sun was rising. Well, remember, he went to Scotland. Right, as the sun was rising, he was in Scotland holding a press conference. Oh, this you is would so good. Hit over there. This was a par four, and you'd hit over there, and it was a much different thing. Now you're hitting out over the ocean, and just to the right of the lighthouse, you have a green and. A lot of people think this will be the greatest par three anywhere in the world. I think it's going to be one of the great hotels of the world. It, it already was, but it was in somewhat dilapidated shape. And we've we had a choice. We could fix it and paint it. Or break into Donald Trump's uh, yeah. statement right now. You can listen to the under. They're a little pissed. Like, are we are we actually just broadcasting a nationwide ad for his new golf course right now? Well, by, do, do you have a clip of his, not something his we often do, but uh, it's very remarkable at this point because of what he hasn't mentioned yet. Donald Trump has been up at the podium for about five minutes, has not mentioned Brexit, is only talking about his golf course and his other business ventures and how it came to be. Let's discuss why he would make this choice and what the implications are. We have our, like, what are we going to talk about now? Uh, David Gregory and John Avalon panel with us right now. And our incredulous John Avalon. Is still in the audience there because she's listening to Trump. So they go on, they just rail on. You know, Trump has but been... But he does make a statement. He does, yeah, at some point. Well, which he, was, says that, he says that the, the Scottish people are bringing their, getting their country back or something. Right, and, like and, and, yeah. and none of them voted for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has been super low energy. Um, he's also been tweeting, like, remarkably less. Like, way, way less. And he's not saying nearly as offensive things on Twitter right now. And remember, last week we talked about them, him getting a new campaign manager. And now this week he's really low energy. In fact... Watch this. So what is Trump famous for? What's one of the things Trump's famous for? Oh, uh, Trump steaks. <laughs> no, it's it's for telling it like it is. He doesn't read a prompter. He doesn't he doesn't read a script. Right. Right. Well, look at here's Donald Trump reading a script. 
And in the script, Chase, he's railing against rich people. Oh. I'm going to withdraw the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which has not yet been ratified. The only thing that I've never seen in Trump in all of the events that he's done is uh, he's he's sweating. Look at the, he has he has like a sweaty upper lip. He's like now maybe it's warm where he's at, but uh, yeah, it must be what it is. But I've none of the, I've never seen him sweat like this in any of the events he's at. Play a little more of this. So the Trans-Pacific Partnership is another disaster done and pushed by special interests who want to rape our country. And I can't. First of all, I can't believe he's using that word. Second of all, uh, there's no way as a businessman like, at, a, at the level he's at that he'd be against the TPP because it's it's actually pretty good for American businesses. It's not great for uh, sovereign nations and people's rights, and uh, it's not good for people who want to uh, sue pharmaceutical companies or people who are worried about Monsanto. It's not good for you. It's not good for people that are worried about net neutrality. It's not good for people that are worried about global banking. It's not good for you. But for business people who want to have normalized relations in all of the TPP members, it's great for them. So I don't even buy the very premise that he has an issue with the TPP. Rape our country. Just a continuing rape of our country. That's what it is, too. It's a harsh word. It's a rape of our country. This is done by wealthy people that want to take advantage of us. Us, wealthy people that want to take advantage, says, says the guy whose entire fame is I'm rich. That want to take advantage of us. Can you believe this? Who the, who the hell is writing this shit for him? Well, you, you know, he's, he's speaking uh, with the people. It's a rape of our country. This is done by wealthy people that want to take advantage of us and that want to sign another partnership. So Hillary Clinton, not so long ago, said this is the gold standard. I just I can't even I can't even believe this man right now. Uh, and you found the clip of him uh, making his insightful commentary. Uh, well, actually, he wasn't making insightful commentary. This is a clip uh, that I uh, someone tweeted on Twitter. Okay, and uh, so he Trump was up there speaking, and then this guy stood up in the audience and said, this. "All of this part of the new Trump Turnberry range." And I forgot to hand them out before. I'm very sorry, Mr. Trump. And the guy with the balls. You. Yeah. I Get him out. Bad. Get him out. Thank you. Uh, please you can hand them out. They are available. Nazi balls. Sorry, Mr. Trump. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was good too. That guy got him. That get guy him, got him. Get him out of here. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just like the him. fact he was wearing a, a Trump Turnberry cardigan, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. just like wow. He's a bit of a he was a bit of a joker, wasn't he? And you know what? He's probably going to show up in a future movie. They'll be like that scene will be in a movie, and they'll play in the trailer. You're like oh, that was that moment. I got to go watch that movie. It'll be like a new Borat. You just oh, that's my red book prediction right there. Chris, got any uh, big plans for the 4th of July holiday? Hitting the road with the little fam. I mean, out. we are celebrating our U.S. version of the Brexit on, on Monday. You see, you know, United States, <laughs> you know, kids, I don't know if you uh, you realize this, uh, but Fuck the EU. We, we used to be a colony, you see, and, you know... We, we decided, you know, we didn't like being ruled just, by the British. I just can't. I can't be ruled just, by the British. I, I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> That's great. So uh, uh, keep the news coming at unfilter.reddit.com yeah. while we're out. 
follow Chase online. Yeah, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. If you're following me there, you would have saw that retweet from me, but mm-hmm. I also do other tweety things as well. By the way, I'm happy to announce here on the show that Geek Gamer TV will be covering PAX West. <laughs> In September, hopefully, I can uh, take you down there for a day That's or two, awesome, get dude. some footage for last or something. Oh man, like that. that'd be cool. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna be out, but we'd love your support at Patreon.com/slash/unfiltered. Don't forget the overtime is coming up. You can follow me on the Twitters at Chris Elias, live times at uh, the calendar, JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. And this is your unfiltered show, reminding you that just because your government officials say they don't like something or do like something. You never really can trust them. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it. And, you know, fuck the EU. That's why sometimes I wonder if maybe <laughs> the U.S. would like to see the Brexit go through, but they just won't say it. Uh, you never know. Or maybe they pushed the vote in one way or the other because it was just a little checkbox on a piece of paper. Just a checkbox. You can, if there was a story you didn't hear us cover, you can help us at unfiltered.reddit.com. We really would really appreciate that. So that's one more spot during our uh, downtime. Where you can go, you know, you never know. Noah may want to show up and do a show, so keep your ears tuned. I will to keep the, my ears tuned. Keep your ears tuned to the uh, Telegram ding, and you and the audience keep your eyes peeled right there, watching that calendar page. You never know. There All could right. be a Noah Chase episode. It could be crazy. That would be weird. Yeah. Otherwise, see ya in two weeks. Yeah. That's how we go. That's how we roll. over but it's really just beginning now it's you and me well you me and the overtime for episode 194 brought to you by patreon.com slash unfiltered <laughs> thank you to rummy motto lansley ricky boone matthew andrew darlene and needs coffee those are our new patrons since the last shout-out. That was actually two weeks, because we had a small, compact segment last week because I just gotten in. So thank you. That's uh, two weeks' worth of patrons there. I will be out next week on vacation, but I would love your support. Hey, I recognize this song. Hey, no, it's not the end music. It's this song. <laughs> How about that? Thank you, Mr. Jenkins. Thank you, Mr. Jenkins. All right, so we have some more Brexit stuff to get into in the overtime. Stuff I saved just for our special time together. This is, uh, I think, actually, this is really particularly interesting. The way she speaks, which is, the entire thing is particularly interesting. Uh, and this could be what some people are calling could lead to the Brexit veto. The issue you're talking about is whether there was required to be a legislative consent motion or motions in the Scottish Parliament for the legislation that extricates the UK from the European Union. Um, Looking at it from a a logical perspective, I find it hard to believe that there wouldn't be that requirement. I suspect the UK government will take a very different view on that and we'll have to see where that discussion uh, ends up. We've had nowhere near as uh, big and controversial uh, issues as this one, but we've had similar discussions uh, in the recent past over the trade union bill and over any legislation to repeal the Human Rights Act, and, and these are very live discussions. But, but we're running out of time. What, what, would you consider asking the Scottish Parliament not to back such a motion of legislative consent? Of course, because if, if our interests were on... Of course, did you say? Well, of, of course. Of course, if, our, if the Scottish Parliament was judging this 
on the basis of what's right for Scotland, then the option of saying, look, we're not going to vote for something that is against Scotland's interests, of course even, that's got to be on the even table. Even if that blocked Britain leaving Europe? Well, you know, these are issues that I can only deal with from... You know, don't get me wrong here, Gordon, I, I care about the rest of the UK, I care about England, that's why I'm so upset at the UK-wide decision that's been taken. But my job as First Minister, the Scottish Parliament's job, is to judge these things on the basis of what's in the interest of But can you imagine the, the fury of the British people if you stop them I, I, I can, but, you know, it's perhaps similar to the fury of many people in Scotland right now as we face the prospect of being taken out of the European Union against our will. I didn't create these situations. I've got to try to navigate the best way forward through them. I'm not pretending any of them are easy or without complexity, and I will try to do it to the best of my ability with the best interest of the people I am elected to serve uppermost in my mind. Oh! That's a fight. Those thems right there are uh, clear-headed fighting words. Speaking of clear-headed fighting words, you know, I've commented on how I think Nigel Farage is a fascinating speaker. Um, <laughs> here's a clip where he shares his thoughts on uh, Hillary Clinton here. And, uh, well, I'll let him I'll let him t- explain. I, I don't think... Would it be Trump or Hillary? Who would I would choose? never vote for Hillary. I think she's a crook. Oh, you, I, 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 and I think she'll get found out. I think she'll get. I think she's a crook, and I think she'll get found out. <laughs> I, I don't think. Trump or Hillary? I would never vote for Hillary. I think she's a crook. Oh, you, I, 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 I think she'll get found out. So you she go really? for Trump. I, I would certainly not vote for Hillary. Would I, I you go for Trump? There you go. What a little clown show that is, boy. Those guys—they sure make a ruckus, don't they? All right, so David Cameron. CNN put a nice piece together to celebrate, as you might say, his career. We always have to do these kinds of things, right? Let's see how they did. Let's take a look. We'll be the, we'll be the judges. They got this some good stock footage. That is bigger than any individual politician or government. And so it turned out to be. David Cameron's promise of a referendum, ultimately the death knell of his leadership. The argument over Britain's place in Europe, bringing his time at 10 Downing Street to a dramatic end. When Cameron first took office in 2010, it was against an unfamiliar backdrop. A coalition government for the first time in generations. We are announcing a new politics. In this new era, Cameron oversaw the country's gradual economic recovery, a shrinking budget deficit and a record number of jobs created, although the process of austerity was painful for some. Cameron maintained Britain's special relationship with America, joined the international coalition against ISIS and welcomed the world for a highly successful London 2012 Olympics. Mm. When it came to re-election last year, even Cameron was taken by surprise when he won a majority. But that win came at a cost. Pressure from an increasingly disgruntled group of Eurosceptic MPs within Cameron's own party forced him to make a pledge. Yes, we will deliver that in-out referendum on our future in Europe. The Europe issue has divided Cameron's Conservative Party for decades. I am not a British isolationist, but I do want a better deal for Britain. In February, he went to Brussels to renegotiate Britain's position in Europe. He declared it a success, but his critics, including high-profile members of his own cabinet, said little had changed. Explain to the House and and to the country in exactly what way this deal returns sovereignty over any field of lawmaking. 
Having failed to convince even some of his closest political allies, Cameron's position going into the referendum was vulnerable. He had already announced he would step down before the next election in 2020. I am not standing for re-election. I have no other agenda. I have no other agenda than what is best for our country. As Cameron steps down, the race to fill his shoes will quickly heat up. Max Foster, CNN, London. Wasn't so bad. Gives you some good background, doesn't it? Let's shift our focus over to some American politics. You know, the kinds inspired by the Trump. President's Choice segment tonight, Americans evaluate certain groups, according to a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll. The FBI does very well. 48% of Americans like the agency, just oh, 16% don't. Apparently the rest don't know what the FBI is. <laughs> Planned Parenthood also scoring. 48% like it, 29% don't. On the huh, political front, really? 37% like the Democratic Party, 43% don't. Surprised 28% like the Republican Party, 48% don't. What? Finally, President Obama, 48% like him, 41% don't. Joining us from Washington, Newt Gingrich. Now, uh, it was an NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Now, Wall Street Journal, owned by the same parent company that owns Billy's, uh, they, it's Fox. I mean, it's... It's Rupert Murdoch. I mean, they're the same people writing Billy's paychecks here. So, can they really can they attack can they attack the the uh, the surveys since it was conducted in part by their parent company, or what's their attack here? So, before we get to uh, the poll, you heard uh, Kirsten and I debating. You know, my contention is that the Brits voted emotionally. They don't like the fact that their culture is being overrun by the open border EU policy, and that the same sentiment is very present here in America. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And in the case of Britain, there was also enormous resentment against the uh, Brussels bureaucrats, sort of comparable to what you're getting outside Washington towards the Washington bureaucrats. And I think the British people had this feeling that they were literally losing control of their yeah. country, which is well, exactly the sentiment you're getting here. I think it's definitely uh, – I mean, I don't – I mean, I, the immigration issue aside, I think it's there is definitely a component of – we, uh, you know, as I've said, we are so we are so done with the current system that anything else is better. But why are they? Why did they feel they're losing control of their country? Is it because of an influx of people that change the basic structure of neighborhoods? Now he's trying to bring it back to this culture that you know. Which see, here's what's great about what Billy's doing here is by changing the neighborhoods. Well, what are we talking about? Right, we're talking about the family structure. Well, once we start saying that, well, the family structure is important to the very fabric and the culture, the very fabric of the culture of our nation, well, then aren't we really saying anything that harms that family family structure is a threat to the nation? So the gays, or maybe even the blacks, where's that line get drawn? See, that's what, 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 he's, what it seems to me what he's trying to do is they're trying to take something that's happened that's part of an overall movement against people just like them, they're, the media is part of it. The media is part of this pushback because just like with Trump, just like just like with the Brexit, the media was against it. The BBC was against it. They kept talking about why it was wrong. They brought on the experts, said why it's going to be bad for the economy. They brought on the experts and said why it's going to be bad for the movie industry, why it's going to be bad for the computer industry. Nobody listened. Well, a percentage didn't listen. So when they try to spin it and say it's, it's impacting the culture – 
That's their that's where their agenda is coming through. Why did they feel they're losing control of their country? Is it because huh. of an influx of people that change? See, now look, you can see Newt's trying to figure out where Bill's going with this. The basic structure of neighborhoods. Is that why? Well, I, I think that's a piece of it. But the, I think a bigger piece there is that some 70 percent of the rules now issued in Great Britain are, are demanded by the Brussels bureaucracy. So Newt is bringing it back to bureaucracy. And there's a good reason for that. Newt is angling for a spot in Trump's administration, maybe even the VP spot. So he has to keep bringing it back to the problem that Trump is there to solve, while Bill is on a completely different track. And they have the, in fact, there was a rule that they, they knew was coming that they'd held off on that would have outlawed the uh, traditional tea kettle for environmental reasons. So, he, yeah, you're the average Brit, and you're going, let me get this straight. They like some idiot, some idiot. <laughs> you know, see, now he's, see, now he's getting Bill on his side, because this is essentially being racist, too. Although there was something about tea kettles, but, I mean, come on, this is... For environmental reasons. So, he, <laughs> yeah, Bill. you're the average Brit, and you're going, let me get this straight. They like some idiot, some idiot, some idiot in Brussels <laughs> is doing this. You get that same feeling across all yeah, of America. I, but I, I think that, yes, I get your point about the bureaucracy and the imposition uh, from Belgium, but I, I really believe that it's Dog an with emotional bone. response to we're British, we do certain things in a certain way, that certain way is now changing and we don't like it. Now let's get to, and this links in. He won't let it go, will he? Let's deal with the Republican Party first. Um, very, very low numbers. Why are the folks, including many Republicans like George Will? Now, if they're going to challenge this poll, this would be this would seem to be the one to challenge. So I'm really curious what their track is here, because, again, Wall Street Journal turning against their own party. Well, there are two different groups. There. They're, the, they're the Tea Party conservatives who feel that the Washington establishment hasn't done enough. So they're unhappy. And then there's a sort of George Will uh, Tory conservative. Uh, this is not elegant enough for me uh, kind of group. Really? Uh, so they're unhappy. And, and frankly, it also is a tribute to how serious Trump is. When I don't know. See, this is this is. Oh, man. Yeah, this is some prime bullshit. Uh, I have family members who are lifelong Republicans. Um, and it's great because they love talking to me because I, you know, I don't I don't take a side. So uh, we just have great conversation. Either they're far left or far right. And um, it's been mostly women. But they say they're not going to vote, period, at least not yet for any of the candidates. And um, they're not saying they're, they're no longer Republicans, though. So his premise here is that, well, they're upset with Trump or they're Tea Partiers, so they're not calling themselves these – people, these people still consider themselves Republicans. So I think this is all crap. When you see somebody like a Brent Scowcroft, who was the national security advisor to uh, George H.W. Bush, announce he can't vote for him, he's going to endorse Hillary, you know that these folks, Extreme when example. they're pushed to choose between establishment and Republican, decide they're more establishment than they are Republican. But I think so it basically, this is a deep split. It may not be fair to Mr. Scowcroft and Mr. Will um, to say that because I think they may be rebelling against style not substance yeah so anyways i thought that was kind of interesting is they are doing a lot of analysis they're just kind of missing the mark they're trying to i mean I, what it feels like is an existential existential search of where is our base going and how do we align with that i mean that's what it feels like to me so while we're on the politics bandwagon why don't we talk about the politics around benghazi 
It's not common for Congress to set up a select committee like this. They do not want to be seen as on this political witch hunt. But the seven members of my committee are much more focused on the four dead Americans than we are anyone's presidential aspirations. But of course, Democrats do not believe anything that he has to say. <laughs> After the 2012 attacks in Benghazi, Republicans wanted to get to the bottom of what happened there. In the immediate aftermath of that, Republicans began investigations. Uh, there were several investigations on Capitol Hill, led by the House Oversight Committee, Daryl Issa, the chairman of the committee. Our ambassador and three other individuals are dead, and people are in the hospital recovering because it only took moments to breach that facility. His investigation really prompted a lot of concerns among Republicans that he was not getting to the facts, not figuring out what happened, and maybe, for lack of a better word, not drawing enough blood from the administration. John Boehner was very nervous about this being perceived as a partisan committee. So he chose Trey Gowdy, someone who's a former U.S. attorney in South Carolina and had a reputation for someone who's been a fair arbiter of the law. As we saw over time, that started to change. There is no doubt that Hillary is more of a focus in this investigation. At the beginning, she was not supposed to be part of the focus. When we learned that Hillary had maintained a private email server at her home in New York and was communicating uh, with State Department officials, Trey Gowdy was not certain whether or not he wanted the Benghazi committee to look into that. But John Boehner believed that Trey Gowdy was the man to get to the bottom of this. And my position's always been the same. Four dead Americans is more than enough work for me. The debate over the Benghazi committee really shifted when Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader, went on Fox News. But we put together a Benghazi special committee. Her numbers are dropping. Why? Because she's untrustable. But no one would have known any of that had happened had we not I agree. thought and That's made something that good. And it really gave Hillary an opening to suggest that everything the Republicans are doing is for political reasons. This committee is basically an arm of the Republican National Committee. That's one reason why Trey Gowdy has been frustrated. I have told my own Republican colleagues and, and friends, shut up talking about things that you don't know anything about. So Republicans have a really <laughs> fine line to balance. They want to be able oh, to go after Hillary, but at the same time, they do not want to be seen as going after her in political terms. This is Manu Raju, CNN, Washington. Man, they're going to blow it, aren't they? They're going to blow a perfectly good investigation over politics. Let's shift gears to terrorism a little more on the recent attacks here. Juan Zarate, CBS News, is senior national security analyst. Juan, let me begin with this question. Uh, were there any warnings, any threats here? Well, the State Department issued a renewed warning yesterday, Charlie, indicating that there were terrorist threats to be concerned about in Turkey and certainly renewed the broader global warning of U.S. Uh, travelers heading into Turkey. And so that may indicate that there was some signal that there was increased chatter or increased threats uh, to civilians in Turkey. What questions are U.S. authorities asking tonight? Well, the first question, Charlie, is are American citizens killed or harmed and they're trying to care for those individuals? They're also looking for any information tied to this attack that may 
demonstrate or reflect on other attacks that may be happening. And finally, U.S. authorities are going to be worried about any threats in the homeland. Are there copycats or others who might want to perpetrate a similar attack? And so you're likely to see increased security at key airports around the country. Final question on Turkey. It used to be considered a very stable place. <laughs> yes, Turkey was often seen as the model of democracy, an economy that was working well, a foreign policy that was defined as having zero problems with its neighbors. Now it's in the center of the storm, a target for not just uh, the Islamic State and violent Islamic extremists, but also for Kurdish militants that have renewed their attacks against the Kurdish state. It's a country in turmoil, uh, unstable, uh, and unfortunately uh, weathering a number of attacks like the one we're witnessing in Istanbul. Now, my favorite hawk. I mean, this guy is a hawk's hawk. Ralph Peters. You, you could tell he's former military. And man, with that that guy, he has got a hammer and every, everything is a nail. Colonel Ralph Peters is here. We are under attack. There's no question about it. Yeah, of course. If we want to go after them, take the fight to them. Oh, yeah. We are the only country in the world that can actually do it. Is that accurate? <laughs> No, it's not. Because we don't have the guts to do what, oh, takes, yes. what it takes. Our enemies will do anything to win. Stuart, the terrorists' greatest advantage is their strength of will, yeah. their commitment. Uh -huh. These are people who regard death as a promotion. You know, I would actually consider their greatest advantage is their funding and training by the United States uh, CIA. But that's just me. We are, you know, we consult lawyers before we can hit a target. Uh, we're worried about world opinion. Oh, well, yeah. my oh, God, yeah. what will the Euro world court think? What will the Europeans think? Oh. What will the media say oh. about us? You can't win like that. No. I mean, people you forget kill we've them forgotten all. so quickly. In World War II, we bombed German cities flat, killed hundreds of thousands of kill civilians, kill dropped them. atom bombs on two Japanese cities. Look at us kill. And guess what? Japanese and Germans well, are our allies Do now. you want to do that again? Because that's what would entail. If you wanted to retake Mosul or some of those cities that have been captured with large civilian populations, you're going to kill thousands of innocent civilians. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do that? Do I want to? Of course not. I don't want to Is kill civilians. the only way to win. <laughs> There's a need for a rescue uh, mission. When the world is threatened, uh -huh. when the world needs help. That's right. It calls on America. And that's the story. You don't have to flatten Mosul with an atomic bomb. But when you know where the terrorists are, you've got to be willing to bomb neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, we can be more focused than we were in World War II. We have different tools. He wants more than this, those drone strikes that take out weddings and bakeries. He wants more. But you have to accept the fact there's no clean way to make war. You just can't apologize for what you do. Kill you do the best you can to minimize civilian casualties, but you do what it takes to exterminate terrorists. If you won't exterminate you use words like exterminate terrorists, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to lose. Oh, because their strength, of, or their strength is of will, of, even of character in their own this perverted so way, angry. has allowed them to spread around the globe. Oh. We're focused on taking back one or two towns in Iraq or Syria. They're in San Bernardino. They're in Orlando. They're but, in Istanbul. But, they're in Paris. You this guy is literally freaking out. My blood pressure is up listening to him. You are reversing the whole way we look at military conflict in the modern world. I love how this guy just stokes him, too. Because you're saying, go do it, kill him, win, and the rest <laughs> yeah, of win. the world... Because killing all of them is definitely winning. For the last two or three generations has said, 
Okay, but be careful of civilians. Be careful of collateral damage. Of course. We're reversing that. <laughs> well, no, what I'm saying is the greatest immorality isn't collateral damage. The greatest immorality is for civilization to lose to barbarians. And that is what is happening. Our civilization is worth defending. And it's not a clash of civilizations. It's a clash between barbarism and civilization. We it's a clash between barbarism and civilization. This Man, somebody should put this guy in office, right? Boy, he'd just get some stuff done, wouldn't he? Oh, my God. What a little Hitler. Oh, jeez. This guy has got to be the biggest nightmare ever. And they just keep putting him on the air. Must win. I must leave time for your book. Please. It's the new book. It's called The Damned of Petersburg. I have read it. I've read the previous books. It's about America's Civil War. Mm. I don't think there's any book that I've ever read that takes me to the battlefield and describes accurately the horror of day-to-day -day combat. This is a brilliant book. Wow, what a thing to revel in. Well, thank you very much. I'll, we'll put that Just in his blurbs. Roll around in it. This is serious to me. These, well, you know, he's going back on. He's like, oh, no, I was actually wrapping up the segment. It's technically a novel. It's very accurate history because, as you know, we've taken history out of the schools, even the universities. I want Americans to know what it costs to build this country. And by the way, Stuart, for a business audience, this book, The Damned of Petersburg, you know, I've never signed up for examples of 10 steps to perfect leadership. Why is this guy? I just realized this is Fox Business. Why the hell do they have this? Why is this on Fox Business? I want human examples. And the Civil War, in this book particularly, has examples of people, CEOs who are sick and exhausted, generals who sick and hang exhausted. on too long, don't know when to quit. Technology, innovators versus traditionalists, and all personal rivalry. The Damned of Petersburg. Wrap it up. One day, when it's lot, there's not Wrap so much news, we'll bring you back for a more in depth discussion of news. The Damned of Petersburg. It's a I'll, great book. I'll hold you to that. Yeah, you will. Yeah, that's a good deal. Ralph Peters, thank you very much. When there's not so much news, they didn't talk about the. So he didn't do any news analysis. He just ranted that we need to kill more people. That's what he all he did. It's like, oh, sorry, he was so busy. He was so busy pitching for genocide. We didn't get a chance to talk about your book. Maybe next time, when you're not spending the entire segment pitching for genocide, we'll do more plugging. Welcome to Full Measure. I'm Cheryl Atkinson. We begin with a border story we broke this week that the federal government seemed to want to keep quiet. Two active-duty U.S. soldiers were arrested at the southern border, allegedly trying to smuggle in two Mexican citizens. Wait, what? Even more shocking, one of the soldiers told investigators there's an entire smuggling ring operated out of the Fort Bliss Army Post in what? El Paso, Texas. What? The soldiers, Marco Antonio Nava Jr. and Joseph Cleveland, were arrested a week ago by Border Patrol officers at Falfurious, Texas Border Patrol Station checkpoint. Well, now that's just a little bit of a controversy there, isn't it? Don't we have ourselves a little bit of just a embarrassing controversy? Divert! Divert! For remarks from President Obama in the White House briefing room in the West wing it's all in on one the ear. heels it's of a court ruling God, that sounds a 4-4 four, four split of the supreme i can't listen to you bry why i'm sorry buddy that that is that mono is oh, let's back up clip back up fox news contributor and author of the book things that matter charles great to see you uh so the president the president whether he acknowledges it explicitly was dealt a significant blow today by this high court Yes, and it's not the first time. This is the culmination of a long string of decisions issued by the Supreme Court and by lower courts, which have admonished this president for clearly overstepping the boundaries of his authority. In this case, it was quite egregious. And that's what the Fifth Circuit had said. 
this was a sweeping decision that would have empowered uh, these illegal immigrants. And whether you agree with the policy or not, it was simply not in the president's power to do it. And just because the president wants to do something that Congress will not do, it does not give him the authority to do it. He doesn't, exactly he doesn't as seem in to this get case. that. He doesn't seem to get no, that. He he 22 right. times, 22 times he came out and said to the community pushing for immigration reform. You know what gets, you know what gets me? <clears throat> I mean, they're, just, they're, they're talking about the facts. But what gets me is this is how the system is supposed to work. Right? You see what I'm saying is this is how the system works. It's good when this happens. That's the checks and balances. And yet they're still upset. <laughs> I got one more thing I want to play for you. And then we have our last overtime clip. I, I, I spaced it out because I know, I know for those of you uh, outside the U.S., uh, across the pond specifically, over there in the U.K., necessarily not outside there, but probably specifically to there, you guys hate this Nigel Farage guy. I mean, I just... Whew. So I try not to play him too much because I only have so many ass hairs left to get roasted, but... One of the things, again, I've talked about is the way he speaks. This clip, I think, reveals the fact that he writes his speeches. He's scripted. Because if you watch, he starts over several times because of interruptions, and he just keeps repeating the same words. And it's kind of a zinger, too. Dramatic, fading text. Pretty... The FDD group, Mr. Farage. Good morning. Good morning. June 28th. Funny, isn't it? Funny, isn't it? Thank you very much for that. Very warm welcome. Um, how things have changed. Just a second, Mr. Farage. Ladies and gentlemen, one major quality of democracy is that you listen to those even if you don't share their opinion. He's, so what I thought was funny is he's, he steps in to take control of the situation when really they're already simmering down. Well, thank you, Mr. Schultz. Isn't it funny? You know, when I came here 17 years ago and I said that I wanted to lead a campaign to get Britain to leave the European Union, you all laughed at me. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now, are you? And the reason you're so upset, Burn. the reason you're so angry, has been perfectly clear from all the angry exchanges this morning. You, as a political project, are in denial. You're in denial that your currency is failing. You're in denial. Well, <laughs> this just, guy. well just look at the Mediterranean. No, no, no. As a, as a policy to impose poverty on Greece and the rest of the Mediterranean, you've done very well. And you're in denial over Mrs. Merkel, Mrs. Merkel's call last year 
for as many any people as possible to cross the Mediterranean into the European Union has led to massive divisions between countries and within countries. So I think he's scripted. I think that you can see how he started over like three times there. That seems scripted to me. Um, which is probably why he speaks well. Which is probably not a bad, probably not a bad idea if everything you say is getting played all over the place. It's probably <laughs> that's probably actually a good call. But uh, yeah, I, I just I, who's laughing now? Like, oh man, he is just like a pig rolling around in the muck. He is loving it, loving it. So I got one story left. One clip remains on the board. I saved it for Chase too because it's. You know, it's, it's right up his alley. Uh, and in honor of Chase arriving at the studio, I am going to play the last overtime clip of the show. Hello, everybody. Right now. So stand by. Here we go. Oh, boy. Today, Volkswagen agreed to pay one of the <laughs> largest class action settlements in U.S. <laughs> About $15 billion. Most of that will go to owners who bought so-called clean diesel cars. You're rich, Chase! Turns out, VW designed them to cheat on emissions tests. Turns out, yeah, you're rich, because Volkswagen's hooking you up with, look, it says right here on Charlie says you're getting $15 billion, Chase. Oh, I'm getting $15 billion. Yeah, look at that. See right there? Look at right, getting, yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah. yeah. It's, and they say, they look, he says it's, it's going... a lot of good money. He says it's going to owners. $15 billion. Most of that will go to owners who... See, owners are going to get it, Chase. Owners? Bought so-called clean diesel cars. Turns out, VW designed them to cheat on emissions <laughs> Yeah! Marco Morgan. America! Good morning, everyone. Hey there. U.S. Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates called the proposed settlement the first step toward holding Volkswagen accountable. It's and One of the most flagrant violations of our country's consumer and environmental laws environmental. in our country's history. Nearly half a million Volkswagen diesel cars in the U.S. were equipped with defeat devices. Defeat devices. That allowed them to cheat environmental standards tests. But once on the road, the reality was just the opposite. Hundreds of thousands of those cars sold in this country were in fact pumping illegal levels of nitrogen oxides into our atmosphere up to 40 times the amount permitted by federal law. Oh my the proposed settlement applies to 2.0 liter diesel vehicles, including the Beetle, Golf, Jetta, Passat, and Audi A3 from model years 2009 through 2015. VW will spend $10 billion to buy back cars go. at pre-scandal values, terminate <laughs> pre-scandal values, <laughs> leases, or modify affected vehicles. Have you decided which way you're going? So they don't have a fix yet. So they say modify vehicles. That that assumes that there's a fix. How can there not be a fix? Because here's the problem, okay? Essentially what the defeat device is isn't really a device. They program the software so when it's plugged into uh, emissions testing, it changes the engine to pass the test. So why can't they just release a new firmware? You go into the dealership, they flash the Okay, new- all right. So right now I get 40 miles to the gallon and 140 horsepower and over 200 pounds of foot torque. If they enabled this, it would, A, put undue stress on the uh, catalog, not catalytic converter, but uh, pa- uh, it's, a, it's called a DPF. It's a diesel filter, yeah, okay, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So it would, it, would, it would clog that filter much more quickly, and we would need more oh. replacement. Also, it would decrease the miles per gallon on the vehicle. Uh, some Do you know how much? By almost 10 to 20%. Oh, so you could be, you could be looking at... Uh, more maintenance costs and more fuel costs. Right. 
All the time. Yes. Oh, yes. So I've looked up my value of my car. And so here is where, and by the way, uh, for our Reddit fans out there, head over to uh, slash r slash TDI, which is great. Uh, but base, And I've been getting a lot of info over there. But essentially, <laughs> here's the best part. A lot of people are not happy about the buyback because these vehicles, you know, were meant for like long distance driving, right? You know, a lot of people bought them for commuter cars. And the way that they're figuring out the buyback prices is like they said in the piece, it is based on pre scandal levels. So basically, they took the uh, what they call uh, not Kelly Blue Book, but the other, it's like NADA, the National Association of Dealers or whatever. And then they take a mileage allotment. And then if you have, say, a 2010 Jetta and you've driven 125,000 miles, you will have to take a little bit of money off the top of that settlement. So really, it... The reason why that kind of feels like bullshit is because it's not like you had planned on doing this. So No, and it's more... It's This is fraud. I mean, they committed fraud. And so it's going to be interesting to see if uh, right now there's a, a comment period for, for people to give feedback and, but if they put this in stone in July, which is the, it's a 30-day period, I think, for commenting before it's finalized, uh, if this goes in stone, then my options will be to either sell it back or do the fix. But my vehicle, the, the rumor is there may not be a fix. Jesus Christ, dude, that's a mess. The automaker also agrees to pay $4.7 billion for pollution Washington reduction Washington State's projects. getting $30 million. Volkswagen CEO Matthias Muller released a statement saying, we know that we still have a great deal of work to do to earn back the trust of the American people. Ah. Volkswagen may still face criminal charges from the DOJ for violating the Clean Air Act. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? All right, Mr. Chase, well, there you go. So, I'm not forced to do anything. Uh, yeah. I mean, right now... You know, at some point, I'm, I'm going to have to make a decision because what they could do is they could tie it to registration. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is a really difficult position to be in. I feel I feel bad for you. You know, I've been uh, I <clears throat> uh, I have been uh, I have been dealing with uh, dealerships for repairs on the RV. Ooh. And I finally, you know, I've got a nice guy in there. His name's Jeff. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's been he's been emailing me, but like they don't even have email, so he's been using his personal AOL email. Oh, AOL. Yeah, to give me updates because he's not a technical person, right? Yeah, he's an yeah, RV yeah, repair yeah, person. Yeah, so, enough, yeah. oh man, it, the dealerships are so frustrating to work with, especially when they're the middleman between the uh, between the uh, the uh, manufacturer. Yeah, who makes your engine? Uh, Ford. Ford. So you you're at a Ford dealer. So I have. Uh, it's at an RV dealership because there's RV stuff it's working on. And then some stuff, depending on what I want to do, they can do there. They're, they're certified Ford technicians. Or I could take it to Valley Freightliner up in Mount Vernon, which is like primo because they work on Ford engines. But if it's stuff in the RV, I have to take it to an RV place. Makes sense. Yeah. And then Thor is the manufacturer of the RV. So they're, the, they're another party that gets involved because everything's under warranty. But in order for everything to get approved by warranty... You have to take pictures of every single component. You have to diagram out what's wrong and explain oh how it's wrong in like a report. You send it into them, and then they process it, and then they approve the warranty work. So it's it's, oh. it's yeah. What a brutal. Oh thing. man, it takes forever. I tell you what. How's your how'd your sewer system end up? Well, so far, um, they did something. Uh, we talked about it last time. Yeah, Terrible. they put the thing in there, right? They where, put the where, thing where in the ground. The, they basically fracked your sewer. Your I, I sewer fracked, drainage system. I, I fracked my drain. Broke field. it all up. Yeah. So far, it's working. Really? Yeah. Uh, so far, the levels of my tank are normal. 
uh, where they should be. Uh, so I will be keeping a very close eye on it. But right now, it's nice. Cool. There you go, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. There's the poo update. That's the poo update for, for this the week. Unfilter show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of the overtime program. Thank you to our patrons for making this segment possible over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to the live chat room for showing up. And if you just listened to the overtime for the first time, consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash unfilter and check out the supporter sync if you sign up. See you in two weeks. See you two weeks. Bye. Hold on, guys. Come on. Uh, there, there, there's just... Uh, I, I, no, no, no.